So first of all, I want to thank God for the opportunity to stand in this uh, sacred place. I always consider uh, standing in the pulpit as a sacred honor. I don't just look at it as a pulpit with a podium. I, I really thank God for every opportunity to share His Word. That Today I get to speak the name of Jesus over all of you, just like we sang in the song. And uh, for those of you that might not be able to uh, distinguish the uh, difference between us, uh, even though uh, uh, Pastor Tony and Pastor Gary and I have a strange resemblance, uh, <laughs> I'm not Pastor Tony or Pastor Gary. So I do thank Pastor Gary and Pastor Tony, Pastor Aaron um, for their leadership in the church and and this week I was praying for all the different ministries here that make the church work, for the, uh, you know, the food pantry, all the multimedia people, the deacons, the deaconesses, the elders, uh, you know, the financial board, uh, Mike who does a great job on the building, and just so many people that put so much into making God's house and His kingdom advance forward and blessing us. So, um, I want to pray and thank God for this opportunity, and uh, I hope and believe God that He's going to speak the name of Jesus into your lives today and make a difference. So when I come, I move in. I even brought my alarm clock and everything with me, so I'm good to go here. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word. Father, we thank You so much for this opportunity to be participants in the living Word of the living God. Father, would you bless us today, uh, despite my failures and shortcomings and inabilities and all my uh, deficits, God, don't let that get in the way of you and your word today. Despite me, glorify yourself today, God, that you may be exalted in the hearts and the minds of the people. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And all the seed of Abraham said, Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So, um, if we could put up the first slide, uh, you see on the title there, hopefully, that uh, the title of this morning's message, uh, I labeled it, What It Means to Live, and the way I got that message was, I, I was planning on ministering on Psalm 63, and I had shared that with Pastor Tony, Pastor Gary, and Pastor Aaron, um, but uh, later on, earlier on this, this week or last week, I lose time track there, um, I was just crying out to the Lord. I said, God, I want to live. I want to live. I want to know what it means to live and not just exist, not just to have stuff, but what does it mean to live? And so I felt coming up on the inside of me, Galatians 2.20 just hit me. So if we could have the second slide, please. Galatians 2.20, I just felt this pressing in my heart to read Galatians 2.20. And I started saying to myself, John, you know the verse. You could probably quote it right now. <laughs> and, and, and so you know the verse. What do you need to uh, uh, rehearse it for, go over it for? And I just kept feeling the, feeling the presence of God to impose on me the necessity to go back and read this word. And, and so I did. And I'm going to share more about uh, what this message means in a moment. But first, I want to I give you an old uh, nursery rhyme tale. There's an old nursery rhyme that uh, I was uh, brought up with six and a half or so decades ago. <laughs> Not exaggerating. <laughs> and it was called Humpty Dumpty. Huh? Humpty Dumpty. 
And Humpty Dumpty was a, uh, presented at some point as being an egg. And, and if you looked at the pictorial representation of Humpty Dumpty, he, he looked like uh, one of today's M&M candies. He had a kind of an egg shape to him. He had big bulging eyes, long arms and long legs. And, and uh, that, that's kind of how he looked for those of you that are not familiar with Humpty Dumpty. And so the, the song uh, or the nursery rhyme uh, goes something like this. Uh, it talks about the fact that Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And, and so when God first gave me that message about Humpty Dumpty, I said, I'm clueless, man. What are you talking to me about? What does Humpty Dumpty got to do with anything? And he said, well, all mankind is, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, just like Humpty Dumpty. You sat on an exalted place, high and lifted up. I made you according to my image and according to my likeness. I made you the, the stewards over all the works of my hands. What an awesome responsibility. I breathed in you the breath of life. And that's what caused you to become a living being, a living soul. Without the breath of God in you, you just exist. You just are. But with the breath of God, which is the spirit of God, you got the life of God. And so we sat in an exalted place. But then like Humpty Dumpty, for some reason, we had a great fall. And the fall was great. And like Humpty Dumpty, it was irreparable. It was totally devastating. It left us in complete ruin and chaos. And all the king's horses and all the king's men, meaning all the resources of some of the most powerful human beings on earth, couldn't do a thing to put us back together again. The Democrats said, what can we do? The Republicans said, nothing. <laughs> the Republicans said, what can we do to put Humpty Dumpty back together again? And the Democrats said nothing. But I thank God this morning that we're not looking for the works of some king or politician to put us back together again. See, Humpty Dumpty, it says, all the king's horses, all the king's men were powerless and unable to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But we serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's well able to put you back together again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So as I begin to think, amen, praise God for Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> Hallelujah. So as I, I thought more about the message and the introduction, I thought about the fact of how familiarity with scriptures and the things of God can bring us to a bad place, you know? Um, I did some research on a not such a pleasant topic. I looked up the uh, number of accidents by, in aircraft, airplanes, that are caused because of familiarity, the, 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 the routineness of doing certain tasks. Sometimes pilots overlook. I read stories about how some pilots uh, were so familiar with their jobs that they, on landing the aircraft, they forgot to put the landing wheels down. I'm like, really? 
And, and so I read more into the accidents of airplanes and I said, yep, it's because they become familiar. And because they become familiar, things become so routine and they think they remember it all. They know it all. And they become lax and they stumble over the smallest detail. Something as crucial as putting the landing gear down. And that can happen to the most seasoned pilot. So what am I talking to you about this morning? As I looked at Galatians 2.20, I realized that I'd become too familiar with the text. It became almost uh, meaningless I became so familiar with it. And so this morning as we minister on this powerful, powerful verse, I, I want to thank God for the opportunity to minister to three kinds of people that may be with us online or perhaps sitting here with us today. Number one, I want to pray for God to minister to everyone that has a relationship with God the Father by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the redeemed of the Lord. Hallelujah. I pray this message speaks to your heart and mind and encourages you. Maybe you, like me, have become too familiar with some common text such as this. Maybe this morning God will reawaken the power of this text in our hearts and minds. And change us from the inside out uh, through the power of its anointing. Second of all, I want to pray that this word touches all those that might be like the prodigal son. You done ask God for the good things in your life, the blessings of God, and then you turned your back on God. You walked away from God. You entered the pig pen of your life. Sadness, despair, unrighteousness, sin, huh? The filth of the human flesh, and that's what it is. Isaiah said, All our righteousness on our best day is but filthy, unclean rags before the holy and righteous and living God. You know, in Hollywood, when you become famous, they go to the big street and they put your name on the sidewalk. Huh? They carve it in there on a star, and in the middle of the star, they write your name for everyone to come by and glance upon it and give you some renown, some accolades, huh? because you're so great. Let me tell you, all our stars <laughs> are dim and worthless and have no brightness at all before the living God. We're all burnt out stars in effect. Only God can make your life shine again by the empowering of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. And so I was just praising God because, I, again, I want to speak to those that know God the Father. You have a relationship with Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to minister to the prodigals. You have done walked away from God. Maybe that's you online. Maybe that's you here already. Maybe you're thinking about it. Satan pulling on you. You know, Revelations 12 says there was a war in heaven. Satan exalted himself above the stars of heaven, tried to take the place of God, and he created war. And the scripture tells us this world lies in wickedness. 1 John 5, 19. The whole world lies under the power of the wickedness. That's why there's war, torment, conflict, hate, and disruption among men. That's why there's no peace among men. The blacks hate the whites. The whites hate the blacks. Uh, the thin hate the fat. The fat hate the thin. It goes on and on and on and on and on. There's war. There was war in heaven. That's why there's war on this earth. 
Jesus said, huh? He told us, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. In other words, he said, it'll be a never-ending, repetitive cycle of despair among men. Why? Because the devil is a war maker. And he's come to create turmoil and confusion and hate and bitterness and strife among men. He's a demon of war. So this morning I want to pray for those that know God, those that have known God and turned your back on God. And I want to pray for those that have never had a relationship with God by faith in Christ Jesus. You've never considered it. You considered it a joke when you did. It's a laugh. It's a, a fairy tale to you. I debate a lot of people online and in person about whether or not God exists. And it's just sad to see some of the nonsense that comes forth as their justification for this. So anyway, the first thing that I saw in, in the book of Galatians that set me free this week as God rekindled my remembrance. Let me set my alarm clock. I didn't forget, Pastor Tony. I did get a few minutes head start though. So as I looked at this scripture this morning, let me just ask you a question. You can raise your hand if you want to. It's nothing to be ashamed about. How many have heard teaching and preaching about how you have to crucify the flesh? Huh? Yeah. How many have heard that you need to die to yourself? Huh? So what happens on Sunday morning in the NFL football season? You tell God, I'm going to crucify myself today. I'm going to die to the flesh today. And God says, how are you going to do that, John? I'm not going to watch a single NFL game. <laughs> and the ladies say, I'm not going to watch one piece of jewelry up for sale on a uh, home shopping network. <laughs> I'm crucifying the flesh today. I'm going to die today, Pastor Tony. Yeah, and so you grab your remote and you sit down and you start flipping the channels and you see your favorite football team and you say to yourself, well, I can die at least through halftime. <laughs> huh? I'll, I'll just watch the first half. And here comes the devil. And what does he begin to tell you? Ah, uh, look at you, John. You can't crucify the flesh. What kind of Christian are you? You can't even die to yourself for 60 minutes without football. Look at you, woman. HSN is on. And you already got your checkbook out. <laughs> what kind of Christian are you? You're a servant of the Most High God, and you can't even crucify yourself for 30 minutes. And so what do you do then? You run to the spiritual graveyard, you dig up Adam, a weekend at Bernie's, you prop him up, and you try to kill him again, so you can bury him again, throw some more dirt back on him. But what you find is like the weekend at Bernie's, you've got to carry him around. You can't seem to rebury him. Huh? Somebody talk to me, praise God. Amen? A weekend at Bernie's trying to dig up the old man that was dead. But I praise God. Look at what Galatians says. Paul says, 
I might have been crucified with Christ. Isn't that what it says? I could have been crucified with Christ. Is that what it says, Fed? No, Fed, you got it wrong. I should be. I might be. If I work at it, I could be crucified with Christ. Isn't that what that says, brother? I, I could be. I got a shot at it. No. Look what Paul says. I am crucified with Christ. I want you to know today, if you're a child of God, you have been crucified with Christ. You don't have to crucify the flesh again. That's the devil trying to get you to do what God has already done for you by faith in Christ. Huh? Don't ever tell yourself, I need to crucify my flesh. You make a mockery of God and the work of Christ. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Huh? That means I murdered myself. Huh? I murdered myself by faith in Christ. I killed that old tyrant known as the Adamic nature that was always manifested through my flesh. I dethroned his lordship and sovereignty over my life. And what did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I live. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. What does it mean to live? To be crucified with Christ. That's life. And if you've crucified your flesh by faith in Christ Jesus, I got good news for you today. You're alive. And we know Paul's talking about in this life. He says, I am crucified. I am, not I should be, could be, might be, ought to find a, a, a lexicon or a Greek word study book to help me figure out what that means. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Yet, I live. I live. I live. Glory to God. God was showing me I already live. I know what it means to live because I've been crucified with Christ. And the life which Paul then led and which we now lead is, listen, uh, the life I now leave, I now live in faith by the Son of God. Huh? The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what it means to live. To live means you have faith in Jesus. So if you're born again, that's the good news for you and me. Hallelujah. Let's turn to Galatians, uh, uh, the third slide, if I could, please. I just want to stress that again. I am crucified with Christ. Don't let anyone ever tell you, you need to crucify the flesh this weekend. You need to die to yourself this weekend. I'm going to show you from the book that you've already been crucified. You're already dead, and you've already experienced a resurrection in Jesus. Somebody ought to get excited this morning. Let this word get down on the inside of you. Let the word of God, which is able to save your soul, cause your spirit to shout with joy to the living God. Hallelujah. Now, meaning that we're dead, we're buried with Christ, we're resurrected with Christ, some might take this to mean that I'm suggesting that as believers we never, we never sin again. Uh, let me put that to rest right now. Yes, we do. 
Unfortunately, sometimes we do. Sometimes we have a weekend at Bernie's. Huh? Satan raises that old dead, 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 filthy, rotten, no good, venomous, demonic filled Adam. Raises him up and wants to make you carry him around. But 1 John 5.16 says, If any man see his brother sin, huh? He says a brother. He's talking about one Christian seeing another Christian stumble to the point of entering into a place of sin. So Scripture acknowledges that believers can sin. We don't strive for that. Being crucified by the uh, being crucified with Christ going to put that to death. In fact, we're going to look at that in a moment. But I just wanted to uh, cement this, the fact that sometimes uh, we do have a weekend at Bernie's and Adam gets resurrected and we carry him around and uh, we let him act out. So he says, if any man sin, that's 1 John 5.16. The good news is, um, you've got some notes in your bulletin. I'm not going to uh, go through those. I just want you to take those home and just study those later. It's kind of a, uh, an addendum or an addition to the main body of the message this morning. But in slide four, if you put slide four up for me, please. There it is. If any man, if any man see his brother's sin, a sin which is not on the death, he shall ask and God shall give that person life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you sin, you're leading yourself back into a place of rebellion against God. But the Bible says that's why we need to pray for one another. So God will raise us back up after we've had a slip or a fall. I want you to know that in and of ourselves, every one of us is wretched. Everyone, every one of us in and of ourselves Huh? Are nothing but filthy rags before God. In and of yourself, you're vile. You're destitute of anything righteous. You're unholy. You're worthy of spending eternity separated from God in the pit prepared for the devil and his angels. I guarantee you, uh, if after I step out of this pulpit, you follow me out to my car. I can almost put it in writing. And some would say, did you hear what he just said after preaching? Did you hear that? Did you see what John just did? Huh? He just preached. And look at him now. What a fraud. <laughs> ah, it's just Adam. A weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> what am I telling you? I'm telling you that in and of ourselves, we're unholy and unrighteous and deserving of eternity, alienated from the life of God because of the spiritual ignorance and darkness that rules naturally in our hearts when we're not filled and led and empowered by the Spirit of God. But what I'm telling you is that we all look at ourselves and one another after the outward. Isn't that right, Fed? We look at one another after the outward man. That's what it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at one another after the outward appearance. We judge one another, and to some degree, rightfully so, based on what we see one another do. But I thank God that in that same verse, 
where it says that man looks at the outward appearance. It says God looks on the inward. Hallelujah. He looks at us on the inward. And I'm going to talk in a minute about what that means. But first I want, to, I want you to consider something. Something about the Apostle Paul. And something about you and me. The question I have this morning is, are you a spiritual schizophrenic? Huh? Listen to me. Hear the old man. I'm talking wisdom to you from the Word of God. Do you consider yourself to be a spiritual schizophrenic? Listen to Paul, how confused he seemed to be about who he was. In the book of Romans 7.24, we all know the verse. Paul starts that verse out by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. How vile and disgusting and unworthy of the things of God. How unfit I am to be called a child of God. I'm a wretched wreck. Huh? Oh, wretched man that I am. See, I believe that what Paul was talking about is that's who we all are in and of ourselves. That's now, that is not how he viewed himself after the Spirit. Looking at his outward appearance and his natural human propensities to incline himself towards evil, to have an aversion to good, he considered himself wretched in and of himself. But the same Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Huh? Well, what is it, Paul? Are you a wretched sinner? Worthy of eternal separation from God? Or are you a new creation? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul said, All of us, including himself, we are the righteousness of God by faith in Christ Jesus. But wait a minute. You're, the wretched, you're a wretched man. You said it yourself, Paul. Are you schizophrenic? Is there confusion on reigning on the inside of you? What's wrong with you, Paul? Well, Paul understood what we all need to understand as those that have been crucified with Christ, which is how we live. Now we live by faith in the Son of God. And because of our faith in the Son of God, we got the Holy Ghost. And because we got the Holy Ghost, we've got the power to overcome the flesh. So remember what I read to you out of 1 Samuel, right? 1 Samuel. He said that man looks on the outside. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside. What does that mean for you and me? It means that when God looks at us, He sees the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Jesus said in John 14, verse 16 and 17, If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And if you love me and walk according to my commandments, my Father and I will come and make our abode in you. Huh? In you. Jesus said, if you love me, I'm going to pray to the Father and He's going to send you another comforter, even the Holy Ghost fed, that'll be with you and in you. So what does God see when He looks at me? 
He doesn't look at the outward mess. He doesn't see a reflection of Bernie. Huh? He sees the Godhead dwelling bodily. No, I'm not God. Neither are you. But he sees the Holy Ghost in you. Huh? He'll be with you and be in you. John 14, 16, and 17. And he, the Father in John 14, 23, the Father and the Son will come and make their abode, their dwelling in you also. You got the Holy Ghost in you. You got the Father in you. You got the Son in you. You got all the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily right here. Huh? Come on, somebody. I need at least somebody to stand up and say, praise God. That's a work of God. Listen to this scripture out of Romans chapter 6. I have to check my alarm clock. Ah, it's one of those facial recognition things. Okay. Doing good. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Listen to Paul. Can I have the slide number 5 up if it's not already? Just so people can make notes on that. And by the way, speaking of notes, I, I want to encourage you if this word speaks, in, speaks to your heart, get a copy of the tape. Um, the church makes those available online, and I think there's CDs available, made available um, the following Sunday that you can pick up. So if you didn't get a chance to write the notes down, it's okay, you can still hear it again. Listen to this in Romans 6, 1 through 4. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that, um, excuse me, that grace may increase? Verse 2 of chapter 6 in Romans. By no means we are those who have died to sin. Huh? You see, look at the scripture. What did Galatians say? Not I could be, sure to be, I should be, ought to be, might be, possibly might become crucified with Christ. No, he said, I am. Now I live. I live. But the reason I live is because I died. Huh? You hear people telling you, John, you got to die to yourself. I can't do it. How do you do that? How do you crucify yourself? Huh? How do you die to yourself? What are the six steps in a booklet you can purchase? Huh? That are going to lead you into dying to yourself, crucifying your flesh. How are you going to do that? You can't. And that's the goodness of God. Everything God requires of you is impossible for you to do. Impossible for you to do. You can't do it in and of yourself. That's why He gave you the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Listen to Paul. Romans 6.2 we are those that are dead to sin. Not should be, not could be, not might be, not ought to be. We are those who have died to sin. You know something, right about now, I could jump a tall pew at a single bound. Huh? I may come down there and substitute a chair for it. 
This is such holy ground. Not because of who stands in it, but because of who, who it stands for and who it represents. You know, Pastor Tony, I thought today before when I get up in the pulpit, I'm going to take my shoes and socks off because this is holy ground. But then you'd have to move the first 10 rows back a couple of feet. <laughs> Maybe a little further. We may have to have you guys just wait out in the lobby and let me preach in here. Glory to God. Just sacred ground. Sacred ground. To stand in a place to represent the living God and His Word. Holy ground. Paul says in chapter 2, in verse 2 of chapter 6, How can we live any longer in sin? Or don't you know? Listen to this. Don't you know? Are you really that clueless, John? You, you mean to tell me, John, you have no idea that all of us, all of you, were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death. You've already died. You are crucified. You cannot be crucified with Christ, and yet you live. No. Paul said, I live, but not me. It's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. So today, don't ever tell yourself, we got to avoid a weekend at Bernie's, John, or name your own name. you got to crucify yourself this weekend. You need to die to yourself. It's already done deal. Don't you know? Don't you know that all of us that have been baptized into Christ how do you get baptized into Christ? By faith. You get immersed in Christ. You drowned in Christ. Hallelujah. And you are baptized into his death. Verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism. It's already a done deal. You've been crucified. You've been Buried, you're dead with him. And then he goes on in verse 4, listen. We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, ah, now he's going to hit us with the consequence. Now he's going to tell us, huh? He's going to tell us, David, what the benefit is. What the outcome of this death and burial with Christ is. What does it mean? In order that, just like Christ, was raised from the dead to, by the glory of the Father, we too might live huh, in newness of life. What is newness of life? Romans 6, 4. You ought to be walking in, I ought to be walking in newness of life. What is newness of life? It's being crucified with Christ. It's being dead in Christ. It's being buried in Christ. It's being raised by the power of the Spirit of God. Huh? That's life. That's newness of life. My God. I found myself all week praying, God, I want to walk in newness of life. I want to know how to live 
in newness of life. And he turned me to Galatians 2.20 and said, you become too familiar with it. Get it down on that depths of your heart and mind. Get it down in your soul. Get it down to the deepest part of your innermost being. Hallelujah. 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 Newness of life is being born again and having the breath of God breathe in you, which is the receptivity of the Holy Ghost. Newness of life is our relationship with God by faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says again. Romans 6, 1-4, through 4, we're dead to sin. We're buried with Him. Hallelujah. We died with Him. We're buried with Him. And we've been raised to walk in newness of life. So, this union with Christ, our crucifixion with Christ, what does it mean? Galatians 2.20, a powerful scripture. We read it. We get it up on the board. But let me read to you again uh, another powerful parallel scripture in the book of Galatians chapter 5. This is the work of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. After I began reading Galatians 2 and now Galatians 5.24 during the week and all last week, I began to tell God, God, forgive me for every time I ever said I need to crucify my flesh. God, forgive me for every time I said I need to die to myself. Then the devil popped up and said, oh, you fool. Don't you know that Paul said, I die daily? So I turned to that scripture and Paul says that I die daily. You know what he was talking about? Persecution, suffering, everything Pastor Tony has been ministering about. In that scripture where he says, I die daily, he's talking about the fact that every day his enemies, his adversaries, his haters, those that tried to diminish his apostolic authority, his anointing of God, Hmm? His place in the body of Christ as an apostle. They assaulted him regularly, sometimes physically. They stoned him and left his body for dead. Then God raised him up. <laughs> he died daily, not by crucifying his flesh again, but simply by living for God by faith in Christ. Listen, listen to Galatians 5.24. Listen to the Spirit of God. Let the Holy Ghost talk to you right now in the name of Jesus. Listen to what Paul said. They that are Christ. How many are in here that can say, I am one of those that are of Christ. I have faith in Christ. Amen. I'll pray for the rest of you later. And they that are in Christ have crucified the flesh. Huh? Listen to the Word of God. Hear the Holy Ghost. Hear the Spirit of God speaking. Look past me, my frailties, my inarticulative style, my lack of spontaneous humor like Pastor Tony has. <laughs> Look past all those deficits. Huh? And listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to you today. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. And listen to this next part. With its affections and lusts. Oh, take a swim in that for a minute. <sighs> Dear God. It's not my timer. 
I got a few minutes left on my alarm clock. Hallelujah. Are you hearing what God's saying to to us this morning? That's the word for all of us that are born again. Now, what about what about this? Let me just say this. I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. Talking about this great work of our unity with Christ. Number one in Galatians 2.20 and Galatians 5.24. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't have to strive to be, work to be, huh? push myself to be. I have been crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 3. I'm dead and buried with Christ. I don't have to die to myself. I am a dead man, yet I live. Hallelujah. How many can say, I'm dead, but I live. Hallelujah. I live. How do you live if you're dead? By faith in the Son of God. Huh? Who died for me. Hallelujah. I've been raised. I've been resurrected with Jesus. Look at Romans 6, 4. Huh? That's newness of life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Let's turn there for a minute. I haven't made you turn to too many scriptures yet, but I'm going to have everybody look at this. If you have a Bible or a cell phone with you, you can look it up. Whatever means you have available. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to Paul talk. Listen to the Holy Ghost. Listen to the Word of God that's able to save your soul. Listen to God. Hear the Holy Ghost talking to you this morning. Listen to this. Ephesians 2.1 And you has he quickened. You know what quickened means in the English translated from the Greek? Made alive. Made alive. Made alive, Tim. God made you alive. Huh? He made every one of you that have faith in Christ alive. What does it mean to live? God raised you from your dead, dying, hell-bent, Adamic nature. And raised you up to be the righteousness of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.1 And you has he quickened who were dead Huh? Look at the word. It's not my opinion. Look at what it says. You were dead in trespass and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit down now works in the children of disobedience. It's a spirit of rebellion against God. Romans 8, Paul talks about it quite a bit. To be the carnal mind. Huh? To be carnally minded. Paul writes in Romans 8, is enmity with God. It's conflict. It's war. When you're walking according to your carnal mentality, when you're walking according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit, Huh? When you're having a weekend at Bernie's, you declared war on God. You become an adversary of the Most High God. You become an enemy of God. That's scripture. That ain't me. 
Read Romans 8, chapter 5, verse, down to about verse 8. And hear Paul again when he says we've been quickened, we've been made alive. And then he goes on and says this in verse 6, Ephesians 2, 6. This is so good. Actually, we'll go to verse 5, Ephesians 2, 5. And when you were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ, made us alive. That's how I live. All week I was asking God, how do I live? I want to live, God. Not just exist. Not just have stuff. Huh? I want to live. How do I live? And this spirit, the Spirit of God raised these verses to my heart. Listen to this. When we were dead, I'm in Ephesians 2.5. When we were dead in sins, He's quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And He raised us up together. That's a resurrection, folks. When you're dead and God raises you up, you've been resurrected. Huh? Not something you have to do. This is not just, this is not just after you're physically dead and buried and the second coming comes or you happen to be alive when the Lord appears in the air and you get caught up with Him. Huh? This is not talking about that as glorious as as that is, and as much as I cannot wait for it, right, Jeremiah? I'm looking for that day. But in the meantime, look what it says. He raised us up together and made us sit. Glory to God. He made us sit in heavenly places. Listen to this. In Christ Jesus. Huh? That's the crucified life. You ain't sitting next to Christ if you haven't been crucified, if you haven't died, if you haven't been buried yet, huh? if you haven't been raised up by the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, glory to God. To be crucified, buried with, and raised with Christ is the born-again experience. That is abundant life. I came to give you life that you might live and live more abundantly. And clue here, bling bling won't make you live. A Mercedes won't make you live. A new 3,000 square foot home won't make you live. A new job won't make you live. Huh? Having wealthy friends won't make you live. Having a reputation among men won't make you live. That's the born again experience. And being born again means you renew your mind so that you're transformed in your innermost being so that your thinking and the way you live completely changes you from the way the world lives and thinks. Glory to God. I got to get going here. Lord, hallelujah. Okay, I think we can, I think we can do this. So let's look at this. I've talked about why, why if you uh, uh, have been a child of God and you have turned your back on God, this is why you need to come back. 
Huh? Return to God. I said, return to God. Come to yourself. Come to a new, a new way of thinking and return to your Father. Listen to how the unrepented, the unsaved think. Listen to this. Colossians 2.8. Pastor Tony's ministered on this several times. Listen to this. Listen to Colossians 2.8. Beware. Oh, come on somebody. Huh? If you're walking along the street with somebody, Rachel, and they say, Rachel, beware. Are you going to keep on just... Beware. He says, beware. That's in the word. Lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the traditions of man, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. The philosophy, the vain deceit, the traditions of man, the rudiments of the world, says a man can become a woman. Huh? Huh? Somebody talk to me now. Don't leave me feeling like I'm in this building alone. The philosophy, the vain deceit, the traditions of man, the rudiments of this world says a woman can become a man. And then if that woman becomes pregnant, it's a man that has given birth to a child. That's the philosophy, the vain empty, hollow garbage that comes from an unsaved mind. And it's flooding America. It's flooding America. That kind of corrupt, vile, reprobate thinking is heralded as good goodness. Huh? Understanding. Tolerance. Huh? We've got the third most powerful woman in America. You know her name. I don't need to mention it. Goes on the, the what is his name? Rand Paul, RuPaul, RuPaul is a drag queen. I saw it on the news. I don't watch the show. You can be assured of that. And the third most powerful woman in American government says you guys are what America's all about. That's why America's going to hell. Huh? That's why America's going to hell unless it repents. That's why God said in Acts 17, 30 and 31, there was a time when he overlooked our craziness, but now God demands everyone, everywhere to repent. Repent. Repent term means intellectually and behavioral-wise, you've turned from your old weekend at Bernie's lifestyle and you come back to God. The sick, demonic-driven philosophy, deceit, and traditions, and rudiments of this world tells children, young boys and girls, not even in high school, and I'm going to prove it in a second, that they can surgically remove their body parts and re-identify as the opposite gender. And if the parent dares to raise a voice of objection, 
They're a hater. They need to have their kids snatched from them. Let the state bring them up to be perverts just like the rest of them. Listen to me. And if the parents object or try to stop the butchery of their children, they're deemed to be the deviant, hate-filled one. They're the ones that the FBI needs to look into. And if you dare come to a school board meeting and object to teachers encouraging this demonic activity, they'll come after you. Last night I was showing my wife, Vanjie, who I'm so thankful for. I read this online. And of course, if it's online, we all know it's true. So take it with a grain of salt. But Children's National Hospital in D.C. offers gender-affirming hysterectomies to children some younger than 16 years old. Do you hear me? Younger than 16 years old. That's the philosophy, the vain deceit, the traditions of men, the rudiments of world that have nothing to do with Christ. Nothing to do with Christ. It's time for me to wake up, I guess. Listen to Proverbs 16, and we're almost done. I, I timed this very well. Proverbs 16.2 says this in part. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. <laughs> Apart from God, man's perversions, his abominations, his transgressions, his corrupt thinking, his wicked lifestyle, all seems to be clean. Crystal clear. Huh? It all seems to be reasonable, rational. It, needs, it seems to be right to him. Proverbs 16.2 All the ways of a man are clean, smooth sailing in his own eyes. But if that man does not repent before God, his twisted mind and life will lead him right to the pit of hell. Huh? We don't hear about hell too much anymore. Huh? We don't. But it's a reality. That's where everyone that has decided to save their life, huh? That's where you're going. Listen to a scripture that Pastor Tony mentioned last week. That when he mentioned it to me, I almost fell out of my chair over on that side where my son Paul is now sitting, and I'm so thankful my son's here. Matthew 16:25. Whoever, and I'm in, yeah, 16, verse 25. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Huh? So I was asking God after I heard Pastor Tony minister that. I said, God, I'm, you know me. I'm not the sharpest knife in the draw. Huh? I got a few dull edges. So you got to help me. How do I save my life and then lose it? The way you save your life? is you tell God, I'll live my life, my way, and my terms, and don't anybody 
dare tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Do you know I debate with people all the time? They call themselves the people of God that tell me repentance is not necessary. That God loves everyone and that's the only message they need to hear. Listen to me. The love of God is unquestionably powerful and must always be preached with all sincerity and love. The love of God is unquestionably powerful, but it'll save no one. If God's love saved you, the whole world would be saved. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. So if the love of God saves, then everyone's saved. So I said, I asked that question to God. God, I heard Pastor Tony read that verse. Tell me what does it mean to save my life? How do I save my life? He said, live it your way. Live it your way, Tim. Apart from the leading of the Spirit of God, apart from the Word of God, live it your own way. And you'll lose it. But he didn't stop there. He said, whoever will lose his life shall save it. So how do I lose my life? I give it up to him. I surrender it to Jesus. Romans 12, 2. I put it on the altar before God in heaven as a living sacrifice worthy and pleasing unto God. Hallelujah. And because I've lost my life, I'm not living it my way. I'll find it by faith in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. I live because I lost my life by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I want to close on just two more scriptures. Listen to this. Jeremiah 32, verse 33. This scripture blew me away. God says, you've turned onto me the back. You know what that means? God was dealing with you. And you know what you did? Talk to the back. That's how much I care. Talk to the back. Jeremiah 32, 33. You have turned your back to God and not the face. Huh? God wants everyone to look into His face. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking on to Jesus. That's how you look God in the face. You look on to Jesus. They've turned unto me the back and not the face, though I taught them, rising up early, teaching them, and yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. You lose your life and find it when you come to God the Father by faith in the Son of God. A couple of years ago, God spoke to me a powerful word that was for me. Sometimes I share it. Spoke to me about revelation. 
And he told me that Revelation's the children's bread. And he reminded me in Matthew 16 about Peter. When God was asking everybody, who do men say that I am? Peter said, I know who you are. Jesus said, who am I? You're the Christ. The son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you, Peter. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven. My Father revealed to you who Jesus is. When you read the word of God, only the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit can show you who Jesus is. Otherwise, he's just a good teacher, a good preacher, a good moral example, just another prophet, just another teacher, whatever the case may be. So God spoke to me and told me that the purpose of God-given Holy Ghost provided revelation knowledge is not just so we get more uh, uh, knowledge, more information. The purpose of revelation is so you can make application. Because revelation without application is just good information. Paul talked about that. He says knowledge just puffs up. Give you a big head. But revelation without application is nothing but good information. Knowledge, Paul said, puffs up. Gives us a big head because of what we think we know. But does nothing for the way we live. If revelation doesn't change the way you live from God, you just got some good information. So I want to close on this. I want to offer an opportunity for everybody in here, whether you're online or sitting in here this morning, to get right with God. If you turned your back on God, and you know if you did, I don't have to read a catalog of laundry list of things you might have done. You know that you know that you know you turned your back to God and not your face. You've walked away from the living God. And unless you repent, there's a place reserved for you in the pit that was prepared for the devil and his angels. A place of eternal torment that not even the words of Scripture can help us understand the gravity of. It's eternal torment. Never to have opportunity to return to God again. So I was reading this morning, Romans 1.16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. Then I turned to Romans 1.19. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 1.19. Paul said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are saved, it's the power of God. Wait a minute, Paul. There you go in schizophrenia again. Which is it? Is the gospel the power of God unto salvation? Or is the cross, huh? The power of God unto us that are being saved. It's the same thing. You can't preach the gospel without preaching the cross. Huh? To preach the gospel is preaching the cross. And the message of the cross is that Jesus wants to crucify you to it. And to him. 
Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 4, and I promise you I'm, I'm, I'm winding down to a few seconds here. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you received and, which you, and wherein you stand. Wow! Glory! Man, you need to read that sometime again to yourself. I preached you the gospel. You received it and you stand on it. Hallelujah! I can tell you this morning that as messed up as John Kemp is, as much of Humpty Dumpty that still lives in here sometimes or manifests through me, I want you to know I receive and I stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I stand on that solid rock. Hallelujah. I stand on unflinching, unmovable, unshakable. Huh? You can't uproot me. I'm planted in Christ. Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 15. Which you also, by which also you are saved. You receive the gospel. You stand on the gospel. You're saved by the gospel. Then Paul goes further. He explains the gospel. If I can receive it, if I can stand on it, let me make sure I know what it is. He says this in verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all, ah, glory to first of all, priority numero uno. That's the most Spanish I know. Spanish I know. For I delivered unto you first of all, all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 4. That He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. There's the Gospel. Huh? That He was crucified for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose the third day. If you believe those things, you can stand on them. I said you can stand on them if you receive those words by faith. Now, I want to end with this note. Pastor Tony mentioned Hebrews 12.1 last week. And that scripture says, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And here's the part Pastor Tony referred to. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And I've been meditating on that all week, Pastor Tony. I said, God, I think I've become too familiar with what that means. He says, okay, I'm glad you asked. What was the joy that was before Jesus? Jesus said, Father, I want my joy. I want to receive joy this morning. And you know how I want to do it, Father? I want to shed my blood for John Kemp. I want to go in the flesh and let men despise me and mock me and ridicule me and spit on my face, whip my back beyond recognition, stick a crown of 
thorns in my head and nail me to a cross until I'm dead and buried. To do that for John Kemp would bring me great joy. Huh? Are you hearing me this morning? Put your name there. Put your name there. Shedding his blood on the cross to wash us from our filthy unrighteousness, to pull us out of the power of sin and death, to pull you away from the death grip of Satan that he had on you, to pull you out of darkness, and to bring you to God was the joy that was set before him. Every time the devil told Jesus, just think about what you're about to go through. He said, it's my joy to do that for Pastor Tony, for Sister Rachel, for Vanji Kemp, for Paul Kemp, for John Kemp. It's my joy, Father, to be beat beyond recognition, have a crown of thorns on my head. Let them jab me in the side until water flows from my body with blood. It gives me joy to do that for Tim. It gives me joy to do that for everyone that names the name of Christ. So I'm done. Hallelujah. 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 I'm done. In the remaining minutes, even after everyone leaves, if you know that you're not alive and you want to live, come see me. I'm going to pray to God that He crucified. Huh? I'm going to pray to God He crucifies you until you're dead and ready for a burial right here. We'll throw the spiritual grave dirt on your tomb. Huh? We'll bury you six feet. We'll go to ten feet. Hallelujah. They tell me if you dig far enough, you'll end up in China. Then you can start preaching there. Huh? So, I'm going to pray for you right now and then I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Tony. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you remind every one of your people this morning that we have been crucified with Christ. That we have, <laughs> we have died with Jesus. We have been buried with Jesus. We have been raised with Christ and seated at His right hand in heavenly places. Dear God, I ask that you root this in everybody's heart this morning. That people know that they never again have to let the devil try to convince them to go to the spiritual graveyard, dig up Adam, and try to re-crucify him, re-bury him. <laughs> no more weekends at Bernie's, Lord. We ask you, God, for the life of God to overtake everyone in this room. And if you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with God by faith in Christ Jesus, and there's no other way to come into that relationship, listen to 1 Peter 3.18. It says that Christ died once for our sins to bring us back to God. Whoa! 1 Peter 3.18. God died to bring you to God. That's why He died, to bring you out of your darkness, out of your sin, out of your filthy unrighteousness, out of your hell-deserving life to bring you to God. You might have eternity in His presence. 
And so, Father, I pray for anyone here this morning that's a backslider, that has turned the back to God and not the face. I pray that you'll convict their hearts so bad they can't stand it. And they've got to ask for prayer. And God, for those watching online, I pray the same thing. That you might save for yourself a people fit for a relationship with God by faith in you. Let's give God a praise offering in Jesus' name.